What's going on, church? How are y'all doing today? Good? Awesome. My name is Joey. I'm the student ministry director here at Grace and also the youth pastor. And I'm super excited to be here with you guys today because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, the calendar has officially flipped. It is no longer the season for pumpkin spice lattes and turkeys, right? It's now December. And if you know that it's December, you know that that means a certain, few certain things are happening, right? My neighbor uh, is one of the people who took it way overboard, but all the Christmas decorations are out front. As a matter of fact, if you're on that side of the house, it's really hard to sleep because of all the light pouring through the windows at night. On top of that, Christmas trees are going up and getting decorated. We did that this weekend as a family. That's always an awesome thing to do. And no matter where you go, the air is filled with the smell of peppermint and tree, like the pine tree smell, and also with the sounds of Christmas music. You can walk into any store or gas station. I mean, literally anywhere you go, you're greeted to the sound of Santa Claus is coming to town. And if it's not that one, then it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or we wish you a Merry Christmas, right? There's so many songs that you hear. There's even modern classics like Last Christmas, I Gave You My Heart. And the very next day, you gave it away, <laughs> right? I hope that return policy, that 30-day thing, it doesn't apply there, but it's still, right? You also have Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah. As we look at Christmas songs for our series, Christmas Worship, we're not going to be singing songs and looking at songs that point you to presents or Santa or Rudolph or Frosty. We're going to be looking at songs that point us to the arrival and birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at songs that have eternal weight and eternal meaning. And our prayer here as we dive into this series, Christmas Worship, is that it prepares your heart to really celebrate and rejoice and worship during this Christmas season. The first song that we're going to look at, Esau just kind of gave you guys a heads up, is Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we dive into this song, I want to give you guys a little bit of a history on it because it's super important to what the song is Today And it gives you a lot of context to what we're going to look at towards the end of today's service. See, Come, O Come, Emmanuel is literally the oldest Christmas song we sing today. It has its roots in the 8th century. This song is 1,500 years old. Think about that. And it was written by monks and priests as a call and response to be said at church services. See, this is the dark ages, and not a lot of people had access to Bibles. So to be able to understand the narrative of Scripture, the promises and prophecies that God fulfilled, they would sing songs like this. And it was a seven-line poem. Seven lines sung or said in a call and response fashion. In the 1850s, there was a priest who got a hold of this song and rewrote it and made it what we know today. But here's the thing, church. When I was a kid, I hated this song. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. 
I mean, when it came on, I'd sing it kind of half-heartedly, like, oh, and I wasn't happy. Because like I said, this song wasn't about Santa. It wasn't about presents. It wasn't about elves making stuff for me. But what's amazing is as I got older and as I studied Scripture and as I come to learn the gospel, and then I come and I look at these words again, man, my mind was blown, church. The truth that was here in this song is amazing. And literally, we could literally get hung up on the first five words. That could be an entire sermon right there. The name of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we dive in and as we look at it, we're going to go into a few verses of the song. We're not going to be able to go through the whole thing because it's really, really long. Many modern versions of the song leave out parts that I'm going to go through. Many modern versions of the song don't even address the parts of the, of the song that I'm going to go through. But the truth that's there is not only timeless and eternal, but is incredibly meaningful. And it's a shame that we really only sing it one month out of the year. Or if you're one of those crazy people who listen to Christmas music after Halloween, too. But let's take a look at the first line of the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That right there is huge. Those first five words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is a cry. It is a yearning and longing to have God be with us. See, this is written from the perspective of someone who is waiting for God to fulfill his promises. This is written from the perspective of someone who was born before Christ was. God, where are you? Come, God, come. Because we have a need. And we're going to dive into that need, which is ransoming captive Israel in just a second. But this beckoning and calling and yearning to be with God is something that goes right back to Genesis chapter 3, to the fall, to the promise that God made there. See, sin separated us from God. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they were cast out. They were kicked out and they were separated from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, he makes a promise that says, not only will the offspring of the woman come back to crush the serpent's head, but when he does that, it's going to reunite and bring everyone back to the state that the garden was in where we could be in fellowship with God. And as we continue to dive in and as we continue to look at those words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that crying out, these come again directly from the pages of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember, the purpose of this song was to help people understand prophecy and promises fulfilled by God. We're looking at it here. This verse, Isaiah, was written about 800 years before Jesus was born. 800 years before Jesus was born. And I realize that they're spelled differently. Translation will do that to you. But we see it again we see it again in Matthew chapter 1, a hearkening back to this prophecy. Matthew 1, 23 says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, when Jesus was born, God took on flesh. When Jesus was born, God dwelt with us. Man, that is awesome and amazing. 
In Hebrew, when we break that word down, the word emmanu means with us. And the word el refers to God. And when we put that together, we see it, God with us. We see the prophecy, we see it fulfilled. God delivered on his promises. Now, every verse in this song is bookended. The very first part of the song, or the first part of every verse is that longing, that calling. O come, O come, Emmanuel. In the version that Esau sang right now, O come, O day spring, come and cheer. Right? We see it time and time again, and it's bookended by a command. On the back end of every verse, we see this command given to us, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice, because Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. God is going to deliver on his promise. He is going to send his son, and he is going to take care of the problem that we have. If we go back to that first line, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We look at the next line in the song. It says that mourns the lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. See, the need that we have is we are in captivity to sin. We are in bondage to sin. And because of that, we are separated from a holy and righteous God. But the good news is, church, is that Israel, this this group of people that are being commanded to rejoice, that's not just the Jewish people. Guess what, church? That's you and me, too. Because if we've believed in the blood of Jesus, we've been grafted into the tree, and we are now a part of God's very own people, a people that he made redemption for, the very people that are longing to come to be in his presence. We are a part of that group, and we are called and commanded to rejoice with them because that's what we celebrate is God taking on flesh to deal with the very problem of being in captivity to sin. A few verses later in the song, we see that every verse opens up with a different title, a different name of Christ. We look real quickly at Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. We're going to see it, and then we're going to dive right back into the song. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Check out what it says in the next verse of the song. O come thou rod of Jesse free. When we look at that word rod, it doesn't mean a big stick. It actually refers back to a branch that is coming off of the roots of a tree. You see, a tree gives life to new trees in many different ways. It has seeds or fruit that it drops and then they grow and they form their own root system. Or some trees, as the roots grow and expand out, another rod or another tree will spread bring up from there. What's super cool about this is when we think about Jesus, when we think about the Messiah, did he have to come from a certain place? He did. He had to come from the line of David. Well, Jesse is David's father. And what's really, really cool is as you see that picture in Isaiah 11.1, a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What ends up happening is you get to see that branch come out and start to form a new tree, but then you get to go back through the root system and see where it came from. See, this is going back to another prophecy that the Messiah had to come 
from the line of David. And the Messiah was coming for a very specific purpose, which we're going to continue to read in the next few lines of the song. O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, 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 Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Like I said, the Messiah will come from the branch that is connected to the line of David. It is going to bear fruit, and he is going to set us free from the tyranny of Satan by living a perfect life, by dying a death in our place, by being buried and rising again, only to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to make atonement for those who come to believe in him. And he sets us free, church. He sets us free from the grave. Because for us now, death is not the end. We get to rule and reign with him forever. We know that God has fulfilled every promise he's made. He has. We know that God sent his only begotten son so that we may be ransomed from the curse of sin. Jesus says this himself in the book of Matthew. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We know that. We know that he suffered and he died and he rose again. All amazing, beautiful theological truths. All things that point us back to God's goodness, kindness, grace, and mercy. And now, church, in this last verse that we're going to walk through before we wrap up today's sermon, we are going to walk through a verse that talks about him being the day spring. O come, O day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here and drive away the shaves of night and pierce the clouds and bring us light. Rejoice. What's amazing here, church, is the word day spring is not a word we use often. The word dayspring is not a word that's in our vocabulary very much. In the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 12, it is used to describe that the moment that the sun breaks the horizon. It is used to describe the moment that we are no longer walking in darkness. The moment we are no longer in that lonely exile that we talked about at the beginning. Why? Because the kingdom of God is now at hand. Because Jesus has brought light into the world, a world that is full of darkness and sin. And what is awesome and amazing, church, is that because of that, he's going to fulfill the promise that God gave in Genesis chapter 3. He's going to redeem us. He's going to restore us. He's going to squash the serpent's head. He's going to end that darkness. As we continue to go through this series once again, the point is so that you prepare your hearts for Christmas. To prepare your hearts to sing and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords as he took on flesh to save us and redeem us and ransom us and free us from Satan's tyranny. To free us from the curse of sin. And as we sing these songs that we've sang hundreds of times, the goal and the purpose and the prayer through this series is that your heart will be amazed by how amazing the birth of Jesus is. How amazing it is that this child who stepped out of heaven was born to die. He was born to take the punishment of sin. 
That is a wild thing to think about. And it's an amazing thing to celebrate. He came to live and die so that you might be restored into a relationship with God. So that you are no longer lonely and in exile, but you get to experience truly what it's like to be in the presence of God, to have him with you. See, the, the amazing thing about this song is it's past, present, and future. See, we've read about how it's the past. We've read about how people were longing for Jesus to come and bring that first advent. What's amazing is in the, the Great Commission in Matthew, Jesus not only tells us that he was with us, but he is with us. He says, go there forth and make disciples of all the nations. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I will be with you always till the end of the age. I will be with you always to the end of the age. What's also amazing is this points us forward to the future. See, what's really, really cool, and I was reading up on this, this, this song on hymnary.org. I've got to give credit because I did not find this anywhere else. But I found this there as they kind of broke down the history of this song. In its original 8th century form, it formed an acrostic. Now, if you don't know what an acrostic is, it is a poem that is based off the letters in a word, right? So like when I worked in the school district, right, we had this one for team. Together, everyone achieves more, T-E-A-M. And all along the side, you just saw team in really big letters. Well, this poem, this 8th or, or century seven-line poem created a reverse acrostic. And this is super cool. The reverse acrostic was crass. Now, for those of y'all who don't speak Latin, because I think I'm O for everybody in here, right? Nobody does. crass directly translates to I will be with you tomorrow. See, the flip of this poem was not only the calling for Emmanuel to come and be with us, but the promise that he will be with us. When you flip the poem around, it says I will be with you tomorrow. And in reality, church, that's, that's where we're at. We're still longing for that return of Christ. We're still here saying, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That second coming is something that we are waiting for. We're struggling in this life with sin and sickness and hurt and sorrows. Paul even says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Check this out. It says, and not only the creation, not only God's creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Those last two things are going to happen when Christ returns and we rule and reign in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth with him. And what's so cool, church, is as we sing this song, it not only reminds us that God has made promises in the past, but it also reminds us that he is going to deliver on those promises. These are promises that he's made from the very beginning of the Bible, from the very outset of Scripture. Promises he's made to his people, Israel. Check out what it says in Exodus 29, verse 45. Then I will dwell among the Israelites. I will dwell among them and I will be their God. This is a promise that he's making in the future. In Ezekiel 37 verses 26 through 27, it says this. 
I will make a covenant with peace with them, with my people. It will be an everlasting covenant. It will be eternal and ongoing. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary where? Among them, with them, forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. These promises that God has made are going to be fulfilled. God's purpose all along has been to restore us back to a right relationship with him by dealing with the very curse of sin that separates us. God's purpose all along was to do that, and that's the promise he made in Genesis from the very beginning. I love what John says in Revelation 21, verse 3. John saw this. He said, and I heard a loud uh, voice from the throne room saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is where? With man. The dwelling place of God is with man, and he dwelt with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Like I said, church, the amazing thing about this song as we sing it year in and year out is not the fact that it is past tense and has already happened. Because that first advent, his birth, the, one that, the thing that we celebrate on Christmas gives us hope, pointing forward to his second coming. It is a song that is past, present, and future. Jesus is coming back, man. He's coming. In the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with him in eternity. And what is so, so cool, right? There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hurt because Satan's tyranny is over. Going back through the song that we sang, Satan's tyranny is done. We have freedom from the grave because we will rule and reign with him in eternity. Now, church, as we look ahead to Christmas, as we look ahead to the rest of the series that is to come. Again, we are going to be looking at songs and our prayer, church, is that it prepares your heart. And my command to you, church, my, my final closing thought for you guys right now is this. It's the same command that the writers of this song gave us. Rejoice. Rejoice. We've seen it throughout. God has made promises and he's delivered on them. That's the purpose of the song. He's made promises and he's delivered on them. And, and your job, church, is to rejoice because Emmanuel, God, has come to live with us. God indwells in us. He lives in us right now. Jesus is with us. And looking forward, he's coming again. That is something to celebrate. Rejoice, church. Let's pray. Father, we come before you once again to thank you. Lord, to thank you for your goodness and how amazing you are and that every single thing that you have promised, Father, you have delivered on time and time again. God, we thank you that from the outset you put it in, into practice, Father. You put it into play that, that, that Jesus is going to return and deal with our sin, that, that by faith in him we will be redeemed and restored into a relationship with you so that you can be with us in eternity forever. Father, my prayer is that 
as we continue this series once again, Lord, that you give us wisdom and help us to see how amazing these truths are that we sing about and celebrate every year. And help us, Father, to know, God, to know the love that was poured out when you sent your son to step out of heaven, to live a life we couldn't, to die on the cross in our place, Father, just so that we could be brought back to you. Father, we love you, we worship you and praise you. And it's in your son Jesus' mighty, holy name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.